Alright everybody, so I've had a lot of people reach out to me, giving me a lot of support for signing the People in Tech podcast, and I want to really first say thank you for supporting me, but this Anchor platform has been amazing and been changing my life, getting me connected with some people in this industry that I never thought I would actually get to not only have conversations with, but learn from. And I know some of you who are tuning in are asking, Caleb, how'd you start a podcast? You know, when I was trying to get this podcast off the ground, I had a lot of questions. How do I record an episode? How do I get my show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all the other places people listen to? How do I make money from my podcast? Well, keep it simple. The answer to every one of these questions is Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free. And we Ridiculously easy to use. My very first episode I did for my iPhone 6 Plus. And now, Anchor can match you with great sponsors too. So you can get paid to do your own podcast. Hop on the Anchor platform so we can collaborate and build this community up. You know, one thing I love most about Anchor is that they're constantly being innovative, you know, allowing podcasts to leverage music, get sponsorship, get paid, and ultimately, be the best content creator you can be. So if you've always wanted to start your podcast and make money doing it, go to anchor.fm slash start to join me and a diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. Again, that's anchor.fm slash start. I can't wait to hear your podcast. Have you ever Are you listening? You're listening to the People in Tech podcast, a technology show that's made for the people. Join the conversation with your host, Caleb King. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the show. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about securing your information. With things like Facebook data breach, with things like the WannaCry ransomware, with Chili's being hacked, with Target being hacked, all these companies being hacked over the last few years, it's time for you to take control. And I got my main man, Andrew, who is a security specialist in the IT field, to go over some of the top things you should be doing to not only protect yourself and protect your data, but protect anything you do digitally moving forward. Another great episode, very informative. These are things I'm hoping you're already doing, or if you're not doing, you should get on it immediately. This is another episode you don't want to miss. Let's get into it. Music. 
baby. I like this new DJ disc scratching. Caleb, I've been working on my mixtape for Google Duplex. It's not the only AI system that can sound like a person. Check this out. My name is Sharon. I like a guy named Elon. He makes cars, while I spit bars. He makes tracks, meanwhile I clap back. I'll be the new motor for his front and rear. Just so I can be at the next Tesla premiere. See, I got skills. Enjoy the show. You nerds. What's up, Andrew? Thank you for being on the People in Tech podcast. We are very happy to have you. And before we kick off today's interview, do you have anything to say to the listeners? Uh, yeah, first I'd like to thank um, Caleb King for having me on this podcast. And listeners, uh, security is not as hard as you think it is if you just do the right things. Well, we're going to be talking about all things security. Uh, mainly want the listeners to walk away from this episode having a better understanding of how to secure their information. But before we jump into that, do you want to tell our listeners how you got into tech? Uh, yeah, I got into tech at a very young age with my father being an uh, intelligence officer in the Army. Traveled all over the world, brought all kind of gear with him as far as oscilloscopes, ohm meters, you name it. So I kind of got involved with um, that at, at a very early age. And I was fortunate enough to be able to connect with uh, a teacher in like fourth grade that brought me to Lawrence Hall of Science in Berkeley, where I had the opportunity to program my first computer at the Lawrence Hall of Science um, Center. So from there, I've always been interested in computers. And from high school, at RSA Junior High School around ninth grade, um, we built our first robots and had no idea that we were programming in the most difficult language there was, which was not assembler, but machine language. Our programming keypad was a hexadecimal keypad. So we have to enter everything directly into memory. If you made a mistake, you have to enter everything over. Then came assembler. So kind of got my roots in that and been into technology ever since. Okay. Wow. So that's a pretty cool story. So, um, like, again, we're going to be talking about how to secure your information, but just for our listeners, so they have a better understanding, uh, in your professional opinion, why do you think protecting your information is more relevant in years past? Well, years past, um, there are less points of um, distribution out there. Like if you go back uh, 10 or 15 years, if somebody stole your identity, it was hard for them to actually use it. Right now, if somebody steals your information or your identity, uh, it could be sold all around the world, and it can cause you serious problems if you don't protect that information. I mean, as far as your medical records, as uh, your um, personal records, your credit cards, all that stuff is very important now because there's a big, huge market for it. Yeah, I think that's a very good point. And, you know, I always like to look back on, um, you know, when the Internet first became trendy, it was still very hard to get people to put their credit card information on a computer. Now, so many people have their PayPal and Apple Pay accounts set up where uh, it almost seems like it's second nature to be like, oh, you want my credit card information? Here it is. Correct. And that's what they do. And that's why they enact all these laws now, like PCI, uh, GSS, and your HIPAA laws for your medical records. They have to enact these things for companies to be more responsible. Because if you look at, for example, the Target pack, 
they lost approximately 30 million credit cards because of an HVAC vendor that allowed the hackers to come in through a back door and steal all those credit cards. So things like that make it really um, easy for hackers until you start to get tougher with the type of regulations and making companies pay attention to those regulations. Because nowadays, it's, uh, it's hackers are everywhere and they can start from you know, four or five years old. And growing up from there, hacking away at their complete leisure. Right. And this, um, for more context, now, when I, when I think of a hacker, I think of somebody who's like this computer genius who knows everything about computers, but is that necessarily the case? No, actually it's not. You can. Um, you don't have to be really computer, computer savvy to be a hacker nowadays. Um, you can just, on the internet, there's tons of tools. Even on a, for example, if you have an Android phone, you can download a complete hack library set to your phone and start running scripts that you didn't write or you don't know how it works and learn how to hack into people's um, things. So, no, today is very easy to become, as we call it, um, an attacker. Okay. Um, now, I've heard stories that some companies like Facebook and Google, they were actually pay people to try to hack their systems because it's another way to for them to figure out like what uh, flaws that they need to fix. Is that correct? Yeah, that, that is. It's, it's, a, it's like a hackathon where they go in there and they try to, and they pay them as a bounty, what they call it, a hacker bounty. Okay. If they can, it's a, it's a bug bounty. Basically, if they can hack their system and find any flaws into in their system, they will pay them for that flaw that they found, and of course, they would then fix it. So they have people proactively trying to break their system in a controlled environment, then they have better defense because they have people actively trying to get this money that have a high incentive to, to break it because the payouts are very well. Got it. Now, one question I do have. So we, we talked a little bit about hackers. Uh, we talked about companies having to follow standards, but... Would you say, in your opinion, it's very reactive and not proactive? Uh, a lot of um, the laws that get passed, it seems like a law takes six months to a year to actually pass, but it seems like the breach happened a year or two years ago. Um, do you feel companies are more reactive than proactive? Companies are definitely more reactive than proactive. I mean, that's why we have Patch Tuesdays, right? Where every Tuesday, as far as the Windows environment, you have to patch their systems for uh, different types of vulnerabilities in the system. And these zero-day attacks, if, if there's an attack, a zero-day attack is when an attack comes out that there's no signatures for. And everyone's vulnerable to it until they issue a patch. And that's what you call a zero-day attack. So when people learn of those zero-day attacks, they start going after systems that are vulnerable to that attack until they find a patch for it or a fix. So yeah, it's more of a um, it's more of a reactive thing because it's playing whack-a-mole. Whack-a-mole, you really think about it. Somebody's going to create something that you have no idea what it is, then it's going to hit your network or your computer or your host or your servers or whatever, then you're going to try to figure out how to stop it. So it's always going to be a reactive game. Okay. Um, and then one thing um, to help clarify for our listeners, so we were talking about patches. Now, 
would you recommend for all our listeners to continually update their phones? Because uh, I definitely have some day one listeners on the podcast where they still believe Apple is unhackable. And if you have a Windows computer, it could be hacked all day. Is that true? Well, if it was unhackable, then they wouldn't put out any patches to fix the vulnerabilities. If you just think about that, simple terms. So, yeah, Apple knows that there's a flaw. Windows knows that there's a flaw. Android knows it's a flaw. So when they discover these flaws, they put out updates and patches for those flaws. So if you don't update your operating system on your device, you're leaving yourself wide open for for a hack to come into your phone or your computer. Okay. Now, Andrew, uh, we know you recently published a post on Medium where you were talking about the top 10 ways uh, you can start considering to protect your information. Uh, for today's episode, we wanted to go over at least top five ways. Um, that way our listeners sure. have something to come back to. But did you want to uh, kick it off? Uh, what's the first thing you think of to protect your information moving forward? Well, the first thing like you mentioned, is to keep your devices and your computers up to date with your security patches. And that's the number one thing because people watch when there's a patch release that comes out, they look for that and they say, oh, okay, there's a known vulnerability that Windows put out or another vendor put out. And they say, okay, let's see who hasn't done their due diligence and made put in the patch. And it's very easy to scan the net or networks and find out the type of operating system they're running, then they know what vulnerability they have that they can go after. So updating your system, I would say, is one of the biggest things. Your OS, always make sure you have the current, latest version of your OS in your phones and make sure you have all your security patches on your uh, desktops and servers. Okay. Okay, so that would be one number one, I would call it. Okay. Uh, so, quick question then. So, you're talking about up- updating your operating system. Uh, now, that now I've heard some stories. Then, I guess, what's your opinion about this? So, let's say an iPhone, for example. Uh, let's say you get the brand new iPhone 10, and it's on like iOS 11, right? And then uh, 11.1 comes out, and you've heard the rumor that as you update, your phone gets slower. Is there a happy medium, or is it like no to really stay up to date at all times? Well, your phone might be slow. You gotta, um, it's, it's a balance act. I mean, how, what type of um, risk that you can accept. I mean, that's what we do in risk assessment. Is it something that we're willing to take a risk on? Or, and not patch it and play a game and see if we're going to get hacked or not? Or can I just wait it out and wait for the next upgrade to come up? But if it's just a little bit slower and I have more security, you know, you got to weigh that. How important is it to you? Okay. Uh, yeah, and the reason I ask is, like, uh, like my mother, she's not a tech person. She's a senior citizen. And she always asks me, why do I have to update my Chase Bank app? Why do I have to update this app? Why can it just not be okay? So that makes sense. Staying up to date kind of does protect you because the idea is these companies are trying to put in patches to protect you moving forward, correct? Yeah, I mean, they know that there's a vulnerability in their system, and that's why they're offering you those patches. Okay. Uh, so what would you say number two is? I would say number two is weak passwords and common passwords. And what I mean by weak passwords, passwords that are less than eight characters, um, passwords that only use um, just letters and numbers, passwords that kind of spell things or 
have symbolic meanings to them. Those are, I consider to be weak passwords. So, and the commonality of the password. There are some people that use the same password for all their systems. So if somebody were to compromise one password, they can compromise everything they log into because they use the same one. Or what they do with passwords is that they call it, we'll just use password and one. And then another system I'll use password or two. If I see you use something like that as a hacker, I would just um, look at what your password is and see how did they possibly vary that password. Then run a, a variable script on that and see if I can then crack another system that you log into by doing variations. Now, for our listeners, just so they have an understanding, so let's uh, say hypothetically my password is password123, uh, and I've used that for five of my major applications, including my banking information. Once you get that password, what type of thing can you do once you obtain my password? Well, I can log into your bank account. I can log into your probably your Facebook, your Twitter account, all those different types of accounts. And I can, once I log into your accounts, I can start manipulating information and stealing information from you or using it to pivot into other people's um, systems. People that trust you, that will accept a message from you because you're their friend, and I want to go after them. If I can just compromise Caleb's system because he's really um, weak in his passwords, and I know kind of what his password is because he left a sticky underneath his keyboard with password one, two, three. So I know he's the kind of like a password one, two, three, three, four, five, six, seven, eight type of guy. So at that point, but Caleb, I don't really don't want to go after him. I want to go after um, Caleb's boss because Caleb's boss accepts emails from Caleb. So if I can then compromise Caleb's system and send uh, something bad to his boss that will open the email because it's legitimate, then I can then pivot to my real target. So that's why you don't want to keep passwords the same for all systems and make them simple. You should make them complex. All right. And what advice would you have for our listeners to make them more complex? Okay. Now, there's a, there's a distinction here. Complex doesn't mean hard to remember. Complex means hard to crack. And let me explain that. When you make a complex password, don't make it eight digits. Make it around 12 digits. That's going to be a more secure password. Then the type of characters you use, when I say characters, I mean letters, A through Z, and I mean uppercase and lowercase too, case sensitive, use the numbers zero through nine and using special characters, such as the at sign, the exclamation sign, the dollar sign. When you combine all those different character sets, you make it with 12 um, characters all together, you make it nearly impossible. But some people can take that and still make an easy password because they can go, oh, okay, I'll put um, password one, two, three, pound, um, four, five, six, or something like that. Well, they use uppercase P. They did everything I just said, right? Right. Okay, but that's still not a com complex password. Now, let's make a complex password. If you look around your room, let's suppose you're in your bedroom or in your living room or even in your car. You look around at 12 different objects in your room. And you say, okay, there's a clock on the wall. Okay, left of that clock is a pin holder and all the way around your room to 12 different items. Or you might even come up with something simple like Humpty Dumpty um, had a great fall, Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall, something like that, backwards. Well, you can just take the first letter of each um, word in that phrase and change some things like maybe L's to ones and A's to at signs, but make it a phrase and use the first or second 
or even the last letter of each of the word in there, then you have something that doesn't make sense when you look at it. And it's very complex when it comes to trying to crack that password, but it's very simple to remember because you know your phrase or you know your layout of your room or your car or your office. So that's how you make a complex password that's easy to remember. Okay, so you're pretty much talking about passphrases in this case. Yes, yes. We're using passphrases to create passwords. Okay. Now, some people might come to you, Andrew, and be like, well, I use a password manager like LastPass or 1Password. What are your thoughts on those types of tools? Uh, actually, those tools are um, pretty good. You have a uh, great tool that you use. Just make sure your master password to your LastPass or whatever your password management system is is very difficult and that you have a passphrase. Use all the things I just told you about, uppercase, lowercase numbers, letters, passphrases, and everything else like that for your master password and make that uh, the password for your key for the whole all your passwords. So yeah, those tools are, are, are good to use if you have a lot of different passwords because people can't remember. And the problem of not being able to remember a lot of different passwords is that they start reusing passwords because it taxes their memory. So if you're that type of person that needs a lot of different passwords, you can get a good password management system like that and put a strong password on the master password, then you should be okay. Okay. Uh, so let's go into uh, tip number three then. All right. So tip number three. A lot of people use Wi-Fi at work, at home, at coffee shops, wherever they go. Wi-Fi, 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 right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's talk about your Wi-Fi at home because most of your Wi-Fi is taken care of by your IT department at work and hopefully at your coffee shop. But when you get home, Wi-Fi, is it really secure that you're using? If you think about it, when was the last time you logged into your admin port of your Wi-Fi router and updated your um, firmware? Firmware is the software that runs your, your access point, your wireless uh, router modem, as you want to call it. And a lot of people are completely unaware that they should update the firmware on their device because that firmware, that router becomes susceptible for somebody to basically break into your router or your Wi-Fi access point and compromise everything you do by being, uh, call it the man in the middle. Everything you send out, they're intercepting at that access point and seeing everything you do before it goes out. So... Updating your firmware is just the same as updating your operating system as we talked about earlier, but this is have to do with Wi-Fi. And when you, a lot of people use shared passwords in their Wi-Fi because everybody wants to use WPA2, um, they call it WPA2 personal. And when they do that, they have a shared password that they have to give out. A lot of people give out passwords like that and never change them. Like if, let's suppose you have an Airbnb guest that comes over and you say, oh, here's the password. Are you, did you change that password when they, when they left? A lot of people have not, right? Right. So that password thing is very important. The operating system, the firmware on your Wi-Fi and changing your password when you give it out or just being, just change it every 90 days or put a schedule on your shared password for your Wi-Fi access device. Okay, so pretty much what you're saying is 
use, again, use a good complex password, but at the same time, make sure your firmware is up to date along with your operating system, correct? Yeah, and correct. And another important point about your Wi-Fi access point, a lot of people will go to Fry's Electronics, Best Buy, wherever they buy the device for, from, or Amazon, and they install it, set it up, and never change the master password for the device. So if somebody cruises by your house and wants to grab some Wi-Fi, and they go, oh, okay, I see you have this type of router or Wi-Fi device. They can just quickly Google it and say, what's the default password of that device? And enter it, and if you haven't changed it, they own you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, fair enough. You always want to make sure you change your default passwords on your Wi-Fi access points. Okay, uh, so let's go into, I believe, tip number four. Um, tip number four, I don't have a list in front of me, but I'm going to just go off things that I know It's common. And one common thing, too, is um, a lot of people use browsers that remember passwords, right? Right. So if you're, let's suppose you you go over a friend's house and you say, hey, oh, can I use your computer? And they say, yeah, you bring up a browser. And little do they know their browser is not secure because they don't have a massive password on it. They go in there, click on settings, go beneath it, and view all your passwords for everything that you saved the password for. So when you're using a browser, if you're going to remember passwords, make sure you remember to set a master password for your browser because the person that comes right behind you uses your computer or your browser, and you don't have any type of secure password on your browser, remember my passwords, then they can look at every password and look at it in clear text too because it gives you that ability. Oh, okay. So, going back to passwords again, but there seems like there's levels to passwords. I think a lot of people think, at least like I'm an Apple person, so I think of passwords like I have to log into my computer, and then I have to log into, you know, my different apps, right? But it sounds like there's different levels of passwords when you're considering browser passwords, correct? Yes, this is considered browser password because the browser is the number one app used on any phone or any computer. Right. Okay. Think about it. If you're on a computer, most likely you're going to be on Chrome, Safari, um, IE, or whatever, Edge. You're going to be on a browser most of the time. Now, for our listeners, is there a preferred browser that is more secure? Is there a preferred browser? Um, you know, that, you're getting into a browser war at that point. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to get into a browser war. Which, which one's more secure? I mean, they all are actively trying to make their browsers very secure. And just as long as you keep your browser updated, um, you should be okay because the that's the game. They know security is the game right now. And browsers pretty soon, probably in next year or so, will not be able to go to a website that's not secure. I mean, that's what they're talking about right now. When you see that lock in your um, URL bar, it says secure. You know, websites that have HTTP, which is the unsecured ones, won't be able to be accessed anymore. It's only going to be HTTPS. So browser companies are all working together in a consortium to push this forward, to stop the unsecured browsers from going out there leaking information. So can you help uh, our listeners just get a better understanding of HTTP versus HTTPS, since we're talking about it? Okay, sure. HTTP is your regular 
um, protocol to send information over the internet is hyper is the hypertext language, which basically sends um, formats of your text over the internet, so it can be presented and sent across the network and picked up on somebody else's device like a server. Now HTTPS, um, what it does before it sends it. It says, uh, I need to make sure you who, I mean, I'm sending it to the person I know I'm sending it to, and I need to encrypt it with your um, keys that you make public to me. So before I send it to you, I'm going to find your public keys because um, when I talk to your website, you say, my public key is this. And I say, okay, I got your public keys, and I'm going to lock it with, with your public key, my information. Then I'm going to uh, send it. To you, the only person that can open it is the person with the private key. So it's encrypted. If anybody tries to look at the information, they can't see anything because it's locked and encrypted. And so that's what HTTPS does for you. The only person that can see it is the person that has the private key that can unlock from a public key. Okay, so it's ultimately a more secure protocol uh, protecting people who are using browsers. Yeah, it's a highly secure protocol um, protecting people for someone who can't see your data traveling over the internet. Okay. Uh, and then let's just end it off with one more tip. Um, one more tip. Let's see. What's a, another great tip? We talked about passwords. We talked about browsers. Um, let's see. For This is mainly for home users, right? We're not talking about enterprise or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, I was just saying you home... Oh, so actually, I do have a question for you. Maybe just, maybe you can talk about it a little bit. Um, you know how some apps offer two-factor authentication? Yeah, that's a great one. Two-factor authentication. I have it in everything. That's one of the most important things everybody should have is 2FA, <laughs> two-factor authentication. What that, what that does is if somebody's shoulder surfing you, looking over your shoulder... And they happen just to see you typing your password. It happens a lot. You could be at a coffee shop and not even notice somebody's watching you typing your password. Well, what two-factor authentication does, you enter the password, now all of a sudden you get a text message with a random code. Then you have then the web page presents you with a code box that says enter this code before I allow you to log in. So it requires two factors to be able to log in. The first factor is you enter something that you know, which is your password, right? Now, something that you have just came back to you, which is the code, right? So two-factor prevents somebody that knows your passwords from accessing your account. So let's suppose you, your friend had your Facebook password or your Twitter password or whatever, or your bank password, and they try to log in. Boom. Immediately, you get a text message on your phone with the code. You're going to look at that and say, hey, I didn't log in. Who's logging in trying to log in as me? they won't be able to log in because they'll never get that code. And that code always changes every time you try to log in. So that's what two-factor authentication is. You should have in all your social media accounts and banks. And because you hear about these celebrities, they, they got hacked on Instagram. They got hacked on Facebook or whatever. And I always think about that. So why don't they just turn on two-factor authentication? It's so easy to do. Just click a couple of buttons and you enter your cell phone mobile number. Then anytime you log in, you get a code that you have to enter. So that's what two-factor authentication is. You should have it in all your services that allow you to activate it. Awesome. 
All right, Andrew. Well, I think this has been a great top five. Uh, I would love to bring you back to do another five points because I'm sure we can talk about security all day. Um, but before we wrap up today's episode, uh, any advice to our listeners who are interested in uh, getting into the security space and learning more about this stuff? Yeah, security uh, Yeah, security is a really cool field. It's a very hot field, too, where there's more um, jobs in security than there are people that can fill the jobs. It's a very hot uh, area. But if you want to start learning security, there's a lot of free resources like Cybrary. And that's C, uh, Cybrary, C-Y-B-R-A-R-Y dot I-T. That's a website that has trainings from the security. That's absolutely free. So if you want to start off as a neophyte in security, you can study something like Security Plus as an intro into security and keep moving up. So if you're interested, try cyberi.it. All right. Awesome. Well, again, thank you for being on the podcast, Andrew. We really appreciate it. We're hoping to bring you back for a part two in the near future. But for this episode, guys, we are out. Peace. Yeah. <laughs>